back to another episode of Killer Conversations with me, your main host, Bethany Watts. Um, I do want to just quickly mention that these podcasts do involve talks of violence, murder and sexual assault. So we do suggest to be 18 or over. Um, If you are under that age, please do get your guardian or parents permission. It also goes without saying that we obviously do not condone anything in these stories or violence of any kind. Today's episode, we have Jack joining us again just because of covid restrictions so I like, I like to think back by popular demand popular demand yes as you all may know already i'm doing a phd in criminology so have a fascination and interest for serial killers and did you want to do like a brief intro i know you did last episode but i'm um i'm bethany's significant other uh, yeah. have been for a little while now and i'm joining her now due to the wonderful restrictions of covid19 on this wonderful and weird journey we're about to go on with serial killers. And I do believe you've chosen someone a bit close to home for me this week. I have. I wanted it to be a bit, um, not relatable, because you can't really relate to a serial killer, but more geographically relatable, I suppose. So today we're doing the Yorkshire Ripper. And for those that don't know from his accent, (laughs) Jack is from Yorkshire. I am from Leeds, West Yorkshire. Yes. Um... Did you almost fall off your chair then? Chair almost broke <laughs> mid-podcast. I just saw you jolt up. Seamlessly carry on as if nothing happened. Okay. Right, so I'm just going to get back, uh, right into it. Again, I do want to just pre-warn that there is a few gory details. Um, so if you... A bit of a trigger warning about sexual assault, violence and murder. So just to keep that in mind. And please do double check with your guardian or parent if you are under the age of 18. <laughs> Peter Sutcliffe is a prolific English serial killer who was dubbed the Yorkshire Ripper by the press. On 22nd of May 1981, Sutcliffe was convicted of murdering 13 women and attempting to murder seven others. He is currently serving 20 concurrent sentences of life imprisonment, which was increased to a whole life order in 2010. All except two of his murders took place in West Yorkshire. The others were in Manchester. Where's Leeds? Because you're from Leeds. Which part of Yorkshire is that from? Leeds is West Yorkshire. Right, okay. Yeah, Leeds is, Leeds is the greatest county in England. <laughs> West Yorkshire. A lot of these are based in Leeds and Bradford, so... Yes. The I area mean, it, before my time, I was born in 95. However, my yes. mum and dad... They probably will they, remember. They knew this very, very well. But yeah, my dad would be in 11, 12. During the yeah, time, so, During yeah. the time of his um, initial press conviction. Mm. So he would have known the... They probably both remember him quite well. Yeah, I know my parents do as well. So, I mean, it was nationwide, not just to the Yorkshire area. When somebody gives you the name the Yorkshire Ripper, you have a lot to live up to, I suppose. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, Sutcliffe initially attacked women and girls in residential areas, but appeared to have moved to the red light districts because he was attracted by the vulnerability of prostitutes. Sutcliffe had allegedly regularly used the service of prostitutes in Leeds and Bradford. Big up them West Yorkshire prostitutes. <laughs> he carried out murders over five years, including women who were not prostitutes. After his arrest in Sheffield um, by South Yorkshire police for driving with false number plates in January 1981, he was transferred to West Yorkshire police who questioned him about the killings. He confessed to being the perpetrator, saying that the voice of God had sent him on a mission to kill prostitutes. Oh, God, he's one of those. Yeah, the obviously, vo- this is a summary, but we will go into further the detail. Voice, the voice of God. Okay, go on. Yes. Continue. <laughs> um, at his trial, 
Sutcliffe pleaded not guilty to murders on grounds of diminished responsibility, but he was convicted of murder on a majority verdict. Following his conviction, Sutcliffe began using his mother's maiden name of Coonan. So, so he tried to defend himself by saying, oh, I wasn't in the right frame of mind, the voice of God was telling me, mm-hmm. but was in enough frame of mind to deny the killings. And then once convicted, he was like, I don't fancy this Sutcliffe surname anymore. Yeah, I think he knew that it carried a bad reputation, so he decided to go back to the maiden name, but everyone knew who he was. Everyone says it's a bit late by that time, Peter. Yeah, literally. Okay, we'll get into it. That's just a a synopsis of what's to come, basically. So here comes the details. Yes. Okay. Sutcliffe met Sonia Surma on the 14th of February, 1967. Cheeky Valentine's Day. Mm. They married on the 10th of August, 1974. She suffered several miscarriages and they were informed that she would not be able to have children. She resumed a teacher training course during which time she had an affair with an ice cream van man. Uh, when she completed the course in 1977 and began teaching, she and Sutcliffe used her salary to buy a house in Bradford, into which they moved on the 26th of September 1977 and where they were living at the time of his arrest. Well, is the affair that she was having important? Or is that just a... No, I think that's just a background thing. You know, he's got a bit of anger pent up. She can't have children. Like, I think this oh, is... Oh, so this like the seeds are being sown. Yeah, so he's kind of getting angry and angry at women. I bet he got triggered every time he saw Mr. Whippy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. absolutely livid. Here's the jingle of the, um, Honestly, the it, ice cream man and it, he's like, fuck it. I fucking hate summer. Jesus, yeah. I also heard actually with his wife that she was quite cruel to him and he got a lot of pent up anger because of that is this allegedly or is allegedly this that's alleged- why i didn't really the lawyers downstairs have told us it allegedly allegedly yeah okay so we'll start from the beginning in 1969 sutcliffe assaulted a prostitute he had met while searching for a woman who had tricked him out of money he left his friend's minivan and walked up to st paul's road in bradford until he was out of sight leaving his friend in the van when he returned he was out of breath as if he had been running He told his friend to drive off quickly. Sutcliffe said that he had followed a prostitute into a garage and hit her over the head with a stone in a sock. According to his statement, Sutcliffe said, I got out of the car, went across the road and hit her. The force of the impact tore the toe off the sock and whatever was in it came out. I went back to the car and got in it. Police visited his home the next day as the woman he had attacked had noted the vehicle registration plate. Sutcliffe admitted he had hit her, but he claimed it was with his hand. The police told him he was very lucky, as the woman did not want anything more to do with the incident because she was a known prostitute and her current husband was serving a jail term for assault. So, dodges the bullet on the first try there. Yeah. Yeah. Like we mentioned, sowing the seeds. So, you get the old stone in the sock trick, was it? Yes. Very very old school there, Peter. Did it with that school. much force that it ripped off the ripped end off of the, the sock? Ripped the end of the sock and the stone came... Oh, God, that was some swing then. Yeah, literally. Some anger from that. Okay, 1975. Sutcliffe committed his second assault on the night of the 5th of July, 1975, in Cayley. Sorry, wow, so he got six years without doing another yeah. assault. That we know of. That we know of, yeah. Okay. This is what's reported, slash he's confessed to, slash right. they think it's okay. him. He attacked Anna, who was walking alone, striking her unconscious with a ball-peen hammer and slashing her stomach with a knife. Disturbed by a neighbour, he left without killing her. Anna survived after extensive medical intervention at the General Infirmary at Leeds. Big up Leeds General Infirmary. (laughs) 
but was psychologically traumatised by the attack. Sutcliffe attacked Olive Smelt in Halifax in August 1975, employing the same motive, he struck her from behind and used a knife to slash her, this time above her bum. Again, he was interrupted and he left the victim badly injured but alive. Like Anna, Smelt suffered from emotional and mental health problems, including clinical depression. So two swings and two misses so far for, for, so Mr. Far, for Mr. Sutcliffe. These are just attacks. There's no official you know, deaths or anything okay. as of yet. But I have a feeling they're coming. On the 27th of August 1975, Sutcliffe attacked 14-year-old Tracy Brown in Silsden. He struck her from behind and hit her on the head five times while she was walking along a country lane. He ran off when he saw headlights of a passing car, leaving his victim requiring brain surgery. Sutcliffe was not convicted of the attack, but he did confess to it in 1992. Right. Okay. So he gets away with this one again, Mm -hmm. but then later, for some reason, confesses to doing it. Yeah, so he gets away with it, obviously gets put in prison, blah, 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 and later down the line when he's incarcerated. This is a weird one so far. He's had three swings and three misses. Yeah. Not, I've got to admit, on the old serial killer ranking, he's not, he's not pulling out so well so far. Not so far, but, you know, here we go. The first victim to lose her life in a Sutcliffe attack was Wilma McCann on the 30th of October 1975. McCann was a mother of four. Sutcliffe struck her twice with a hammer before stabbing her 15 times in the neck, chest and abdomen. Oh, that'll do it. That would that do might, it, yeah. He wanted to make sure on this one. Yeah, definitely. He was like, I'm not missing this one. <laughs> I... now this, this one. This one's not making it. Yeah. An extensive inquiry involving 150 police officers and 11,000 interviews failed to find the culprit. Great. One of McCann's daughters died by suicide in December 2007, reportedly after suffering years of depression over her mother's death. That's just what the little extra tip of what the aftermath of the crime, was it? Yeah, I mean, people forget that the victims have families who have to deal with this for the rest of their life Oh, gotcha. Well. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's number one. Where was that one taking place, sorry? Did we have a location for that one? It was in uh, Leeds. Ah, right. So we've now hit the hometown, have we? We well, have, yeah. Well, I was born and raised, so... It, oh, God, how many does they do in Leeds, then? Oh, well, let's find out. <laughs> um, 1976. So we've gone on so a, a bit, few months. Bit of a few month gap here. Yeah, about three months, yeah. Um, Sutcliffe committed his next murder in Leeds in January 1976. Okay, yeah. Where he stabbed 42-year-old Emily Jackson 52 times. 52 times? Yeah, he's got like, some pent-up anger. Yeah. In dire financial straits, Jackson had been using the family van with her husband's agreement and support to exchange sexual favours for money. Oh, well, at least, at least the husband agreed to it. Yeah. <laughs> well, honestly, the key ingredient to a happy marriage is honesty. That's what they say. <laughs> Sutcliffe picked up Jackson, then drove about half a mile to some derelict building. First of all, sorry to interrupt, that's the first warning sign. What, taking a if, derelict building? Going taking if, if you get Don't picked know. up and someone takes you to derelict buildings where there's no one around for miles, that should be, some guy should be waving a little red flag somewhere, going, ooh... True, but you've also got to think, if you are a prostitute on the down low, you want to be away from the public, you so, know? But, but she had the van, so why did she not take him to the van? Because in this one, like, he takes her. So yeah. was she like, oh, get in the van, Pete? And he's like, oh, I've got the new uh, new Vauxhall. Let's, yeah. let's go. There's some empty buildings over there. We can really go out it. And she's like, oh, okay, then the suspension's getting a bit weak in the old van. Yeah, well, treat me to your Vauxhall. Treat, treat me to your Vauxhall. Yeah. For, just to disclaimer, we have no idea if it was a Vauxhall he was driving. 
No, I don't actually know the type of car. Can't give that information. I don't want to disparage Vauxhall's name. I'm sure it's a great uh, car brand. Sutcliffe hit her on the head with a hammer and then dragged her body into a rubbish-strewn yard and used a sharpened screwdriver to stab her in the neck, chest and abdomen. Sutcliffe stomped on her thigh, leaving behind an impression of his boot. So he, he hit on the head with a hammer. Mm-hmm. We have no idea if that was the death blow. But then... Mm. Then he stabbed her in the neck, chest and abdomen, so following a similar pattern to uh, Wilma in the previous one. Yeah. Then he stomped on her thigh? Yeah. Sutcliffe attacked 20-year-old Marcella Claxton in Round Hay Park, Leeds. Oh, I know it well. On the 9th of May, 1976. Walking home from a party, she accepted an offer of a lift from Sutcliffe. Woo, red flag. Shouldn't do that. Red flag. Are you just going to like, woohoo, red, every red flag? That was the woohoo for the red flag. Second red, fl- red flag. Stranger danger. Yeah. Uh, when she got out of her car to urinate, Sutcliffe hit her from behind with a hammer. There's so many things wrong with this story so far. Well, you know, if you need to go for a wee... The 70s were a different time in they Leeds, were. apparently. <laughs> so when she got out to urinate, Sutcliffe hit her from behind with a hammer. She was left alive and testified against Sutcliffe at his trial. Oh, good. Oh, oh yeah. good. She wasn't... Oh, God, thank God. At the time of this attack, Claxton had been four months pregnant Whoa. and subsequently suffered a miscarriage. Oh, bollocks. Just a, a quick recap. He's swung... Five times and had two mm-hmm. successes. Mm-hmm. He's not buying a hundred so far. Not at the moment, no. Yeah. Okay. This is 1977 now. So we've gone, we've jumped forwards for six, seven months, have we? About that? Uh, it was, no, about a year. Oh, about a year. Oh, a year. Yeah. Well, from May to February, so just under a year. Okay. On the 5th of February, 1977, Sutcliffe attacked Irene Richardson, a Chapel Town sex worker in yep. Round Hay Park. Again, the same park. Round Hay, yeah. Richardson was bludgeoned to death with a hammer. Oh, so hammer again. Death number three, I think. I, this think is. I think this is. I think now number three. Yeah, yeah. Once she was dead, he mutilated her corpse with a knife. Oof. Tire tracks left near the murder scene resulted in a long list of possible suspect vehicles, which may or may not be a Vauxhall. <laughs> yeah. Two months later, on the twenty third of April, nineteen seventy seven, Sutcliffe killed Patricia Atkinson, a sex worker from Bradford, in her flat, where police found a boot print on the bedclothes. So he's hitting his stride now. That's yeah. two, that's so that's two for two now. Mm-hmm. No, no mistakes anymore by good old Sutcliffe. No. So that's number four. Number four. Unfortunately. That is number four. Yeah. Two months later, on the twenty sixth of June, nineteen seventy seven, he murdered sixteen year old Jane McDonald in Chapeltown. She was not a sex worker, and in the public perception, showed that all women were potential victims. Ah, uh, so now he's so now whereas previously people thought, oh, "I'm not a sex worker," I'm okay. yeah, I'm now safe. he's branched out and gone, yeah. "Hello, all women everywhere in the West Yorkshire region." So now it's not just sex workers. It's I'm coming for you. Everyone. So now it's women. Mm-hmm. Oh God. Yeah. Sutcliffe seriously assaulted Maureen Long in Bradford in July 1977. Well, he's really picking up the pace now. This is three in one year. He was interrupted and fled, leaving her for dead. A witness misidentified the make of his car, resulting in more than 300 police officers checking thousands of cars without success. This went from dark to 100 quite quickly. Yep. On the 1st of October 1977, Sutcliffe murdered Jean Jordan, a sex worker from Manchester. Ah, so this is the beginning of... The Manchester murders now. Mm-hmm. Okay. In a confession, Sutcliffe said that he had realised the new £5 note he had given her was traceable. <laughs> After hosting a family party at his new home, he returned to the wasteland behind Manchester's southern cemetery where he had left the body to retrieve the note. Unable to find it, he mutilated Jordan's corpse and moved it. How is it traceable? Has anyone ever figured out how he went, oh, 
It's brand new, so they can trace it to oh, how they distributed it. Oh, because it's brand new. It. Because it's yeah. brand new. Bloody yeah. hell. He's like uh, brand new, crisp note. They God, can this trace the code. This guy's a piece of work to, to remember that. On the 9th of October 1977, Jordan's body was discovered by a local dairy worker who had an allotment on land adjoining the site where the body was found and was searching for house bricks where he made the discovery. The £5 note, hidden in a secret compartment in Jordan's handbag, yes, Jordan. was traced to branches of the Midland Bank in Shipley and Bingley. Ah, so they're narrow- narrowing it down now. Yeah. Police analysis of bank operations allowed them to narrow their field of inquiry to 8,000 employees who could have received it in their wage packet. Just the 8,000. Yeah. Well, it's better than a couple of million. Yeah, better than a couple of million, yeah. <laughs> Over three months, the police interviewed 5,000 men, including Sutcliffe. So, so the police have interviewed him at this point? Yep. Right, okay. The police found that the alibi given for Sutcliffe's whereabouts was credible. He had indeed spent much of the evening of the killing at a family party. So he used the excuse of the party mm-hmm. that he was fine, when actual fact he actually slipped off mm-hmm. to go. Was it so? Just to, was it to kill her, or was it to get the five pound note? Get the that five he pound note. Realised so he couldn't get it. Moved the body. So he'd already killed her by the time he attended. Yeah, the party. she'd been there about a week. For a week. Yeah, about that. Jesus. Yeah. Oh, so so the, yeah. In fairness, the alibi is kind of ironclad because he hadn't physically killed about it. Yeah, time. I mean, if they went and asked his family members, like, oh, where was Peter? He's like his family party. Oh, he's at his housewarming. He was showing us his new house. He disappeared for five minutes. Something about a five pound note. Yeah, he was really angry. Yeah, he, was, he said something about being crisp. <laughs> yeah. We just thought he wanted crisps. <laughs> Weeks of intense investigations pertaining to the origins of the five pound note led to nothing, leading police officers frustrated that they collected an important clue but had been unable to trace the actual firm or employee within the firm to which the note had been issued. So this major focus on this £5 note mm-hmm. led to sweet effort. Mm-hmm. On the 14th of December 1977, Sutcliffe attacked Marilyn Moore, another sex worker from Leeds. She survived and provided police with a description of her attacker. Tire tracks were found at the scene matching those from the earlier attacks. Okay, so we've got the £5 note. Mm-hmm. We've got a boot imprint. Mm-hmm. We've got tire tracks at several murder scenes. Mm-hmm. If if you're on this West Yorkshire Police or Lancaster Police, whether it be Manchester or Leeds, Bradford, West Yorkshire, whichever one you fall under, by this point, surely you're joining the dots. Like yeah. you're seeing, you're now seeing the pattern emerging. You've got the big whiteboard with all the lines doing this and all the pin drop that's doing mm-hmm. that, and eventually, I'm, I'm assuming now the police quite quickly now in this guy. Like, it's game over for Peter quite quickly now. Because they've got tyre tracks, they've got a £5 note. This is coming to an end, isn't it? Well. That doesn't fill me with confidence. <laughs> we now move on to 1978. Oh, right, okay. Just saying that at the start we said that he was convicted of 13 murders and 7 attacks. We've only covered 6 murders. Yeah, my memory's not the greatest. 4 attacks. Oh, for fuck's sake, police. No. <laughs> okay, so 1978. The police discontinued the search for the person who received the £5 note in January 1978. Oh, so they just gave up? Yeah. They just, just, fuck it. They interviewed him, but his alibi was safe. Everyone else would have had an alibi. Do you know this £5 note? Yeah. No. Oh, go on then. Yeah, you're safe. Oh, Jesus, wait. (laughs) Although Sutcliffe was interviewed about it, he was not investigated further. He was contacted and disregarded by the Ripper Squad on several further occasions. (laughs) The the Ripper Squad. Hi, uh, my name's Ian. I'm calling from the Ripper Squad. Oh, God. Do you remember this £5 note? (laughs) No, never seen it before in my life. Oh my god, you Bloody should do like hell. the. If there's any quotes down the line, I'm going to make you do them in your northern accent. Honestly, yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah, brilliant. I'm glad, I'm glad that, that only took, what, how long are we going for? 25 minutes uh, for a northern impression to kick out? Oh, good. Go on, carry on. It's okay, I'll carry on. Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, that month, Sutcliffe killed again. His victim was Yvonne Pearson, a 21-year-old prostitute from Bradford. He repeatedly bludgeoned her about the head with a ball-peen hammer, then jumped on her chest before stuffing horsehair into her mouth from a discarded sofa under which he hid her body. What? Why? What? Why? I don't know. Do you want to go ask him? Like, I don't blame him. No, you don't look at me. Why? I don't know why he chose horsehair to why? stuff in her mouth. Why, Peter? Why? why? I don't know. It. Like, again, ball-peen hammer. He stamped on her again. Mm. Bludgeoned the head. There's a the, the pattern is clear here, but now he's thrown a wild card in there and stuffed horsehair in her mouth. It also says her body was not found until 26th of March 1978, which is almost two months after her so murder. So that is basically decomposed by that point. Most oh, likely, Jesus yeah. Jesus Christ. Okay. Ten days later, he killed Helen Ritka, oh, an 18-year-old sex worker he from is Huddersfield. speeding up now. He is, he is. He struck Ritka on the head five times as he as she exited his vehicle. Another prostitute then? Yeah. Okay. Then stripped most of the clothes from her body before repeatedly stabbing her in the chest. Jesus. He liked this stabbing business, it, didn't it, he? Yeah. Her body was found three days later beneath railway arches in Gerard's timber yard to which he had driven her. On the 16th of May 1978, Sutcliffe killed Vera Millwood in an attack in the car park of Manchester Royal Infirmary. God, I mean, if you're listening to this and you lived in that area during this time, it must, and especially if you're a female, it must have been absolutely mm. terrifying. It must have been. You would be, especially with the murders that when you're not actually specifically a sex worker. He had his lane. Mm. He thought, I'm the guy who kills prostitutes. I'm, I'm like Jack the Ripper. Mm. Yorkshire Ripper, you see. So, oh, that's where the media got it from. They found mm-hmm. that tweet quite quickly. And he goes, you know what? I want to be different. Yeah. All women. And it's like, oh, it must be yeah. absolutely terrifying. So now we uh, skip to 1979. So oh, a year later. I don't know why I said skip because he's doing it every bloody year. Any update on the incompetent police? They're somewhat incompetent all the way through. They're still, they're, they're five pound notes just Yeah, no, they fucked that off. They binned it off. They were like, nah, mate. They've spent it at the pub. They're yeah. like, oh, well, we might as well use it. Yeah, literally. It's probably still in evidence now, to be honest. 1979. On the 4th of April, 1979, Sutcliffe killed Josephine Whitaker, a 19-year-old building society clerk, whom he attacked on Savile Park Moor in Halifax as she was walking home. So again, not a sex worker. Despite forensic evidence, police efforts were diverted for several months following receipt of a taped message taunting Assistant Chief Constable George Oldfield, who was leading the investigation. The tape contained a man's voice saying, I'm Jack. I see you're having no luck catching me. I have the greatest respect for you, George, but Lord, you're no nearer catching me now than four years ago when I started. That would be the quote you'd want me to say, because surely that guy's northern. He's northern, but it's Geordie Northern. Geordie Northern. comes out shortly, yeah. Is it actually? Yeah, I mean, you can try if you want. I'm, I'm not going for Geordie Northern. Do but... it in your accent anyway. What? So, what was, what the, where's the quote? Is the quote there? Right, we're going to go close my mouth here to get full Northern definition. I'm so, I'm Jack. I see you're having no luck catching me. I have the greatest respect for you, George, but Lord, you are nowhere near catching me now than four years ago when I started. Incredible. Well done. That's why I bring you. Uh, based on the recorded message, police began searching for a man in the Wearside accent. Oh, my God. I'm, that song just twigged as well. I'm really slow at this party. So the police are now looking for a Geordie guy. Yeah. Oh, for the love of God. And he's not Geordie. I bet this guy wasn't even carrying a £5 note. Uh, linguistics narrowed down to Castletown area of Sunderland. <laughs> Some guy's gone. Sunderland. 
He's from Sunderland. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, linguistics. And the police were like, we'll run with it. Yes. The hoaxer, dubbed Wearside Jack, sent two letters to the police and the Daily Mirror in March 1978 boasting of his crimes. So they've kind of established that it's a hoaxer. So now, so Peter's still around, and all of a sudden the press are now gripped by Wearside Jack. Mm who's calling himself Jack the Ripper, so Mm -hmm. they're dubbing himself the reincarnation of Jack the Ripper. Mm -hmm. The letters signed Jack the Ripper claimed responsibility for the murder of 26-year-old Joan Harrison in Preston in November 1975, four years earlier. Right. At the time, police mistakenly believed that the Preston murder was not public knowledge. The hoaxer case was reopened in 2005 and DNA taken from envelopes was entered into the national database. On the 20th of October 2005, John Samuel Humble, an unemployed alcoholic and long-time resident of the Ford estate in Sunderland, was charged with attempting to pervert the course of justice for sending the hoax letters and tape. Humble, whose DNA had been taken following a drunk and disorderly offence in 2001, was remanded in custody and on the 21st of March 2006 was convicted and sentenced to eight years in prison. Humble died on the 30th of July 2019, aged 65. What a sad excuse for a human being. Literally, so he's, you know, tried to say, oh, I did it. Tries I'm to do it shits and gigs. Was he from Castletown? Yeah. He was, he was. Well, fair, was play. That area, yeah. fair play to the guy who did the linguistics analysis on that one. Yeah, you, you literally, he's a few miles away from Castletown. So, we've dealt with this shit out of a human being. Mm-hmm. What was his name? John Samuel, was it? Yeah, jo- right. um, John Humble. John Humble, right. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to Sutcliffe, because right now Sutcliffe's pissing himself because the police he's are currently looking life. at Sunderland and he's back in bloody Leeds Bradford killing people. Yep. On the 1st of September 1979, Sutcliffe murdered 20-year-old Barbara Leach, a Bradford University student. Oh, let's go for students now. Her body was dumped under a pile of bricks close to the university and her lodgings. It was his 16th attack. Gee, what, so 16th attack, but not 16th kill. What are we on ninth now? Ninth murder. We're ninth on the ninth murder, murder yeah. Okay. 16th attack. Jesus Christ. Right, okay. The murder of a woman who was not a sex worker again alarmed the public and prompted an expensive publicity campaign emphasising the Wearside connection. Which is, as we've already established, false. as we already know at the moment, it is false, yeah. Despite the false lead, Sutcliffe was interviewed on at least two other occasions in 1979. Oh, for the love of God. Right, go on then. Despite matching several forensic clues and being on the list of 300 names in connection with the £5 note, he was not strongly suspected. Sutcliffe was interviewed by police nine times. What are these police doing? Nine times. Are they playing Guess Who? Don't know. Is that what they're doing? I can't go over that. It was nine bloody times. Did you have a five pound note? Yes. Takes off. Are you from Sunderland? No. Send him out. Yeah, it's not him. It's fine. Fucking hell. So nine times he's been in. He's a pro at this point. Like, yeah, he must he, feel he's got his own. He's got his own chair, he's got his own desk at the police station. Mm-hmm. It's old Pete's in again for his interview. Go on, get him a cup of coffee, let's get on with it. Yeah, literally. If you have to interview somebody nine times, mm-hmm. again, woo, the red flag's now beginning to wave yeah. if this guy is for the ninth time coming into your police station. In April 1980, Sutcliffe was arrested for drunk driving. While awaiting trial, he killed two more women. women. So, <laughs> so we're on 11. So he's, so he's on trial, mm-hmm. or waiting trial. And he goes, you know what? While I'm in court for not killing women, let me just let me just crack two more out. Yeah. Fuck's sake, Peter. Go on then. He murdered forty seven year old Margaret Walls. There's no there's no there's no like there's no correlation now, it's just women. It's 
yeah, 47, it doesn't 16, seem... 20, it doesn't matter anymore. If you're a woman, you are not safe yeah, from this guy. exactly. And that's what was instilled into the public. The public were terrified, and I would be, well, you as a woman yeah. at that time, no matter my age, you know? Even if, even if, like you said, you're in Manchester or the Sunderland area, you'd be absolutely terrified now. The only place yeah. he doesn't go is the South. Yeah. Yeah, you'd be absolutely terrified if you lived up Because he, he uh, murdered the 14-year-old, the two 16-year-olds, a 20-year-old. 47-year-old 47-year-old just now, 42-year-old, 20-year-old. It's, it's like, literally just, if he sees you and you're on your own, mm, it potentially yeah. is game over. You take his fancy, then yeah. He murdered 47-year-old Margaret Walls on the night of the 20th, 20th of August, 1980, and 20-year-old Jacqueline Hill, a student at Leeds University, so, on the night of 17th of November, 1980. So we've gone from 47 again to top. Yeah, you, there's no there's preference. No, there's no preference now. It's no. just woman. It's just women, rather. Sorry. Yeah, Hill's body was found on wasteland near the Arndale Centre. Shops there a few times. Have you? Yeah, I have actually. Is that yeah. what it is? A shopping centre. It's a shop. Well, if 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 it's the Arndale Centre that I know it, it's the one in Cross Gates. Oh, I like Crossgate. Yes, you've been there a few times. I don't know if it's... Because there are a few Arndale centres. Oh, my God. But if it's the one I'm thinking of in Leeds, then, yeah, we've shopped there a few times. Lovely bakery. Lovely bakery. Oh, it is a lovely bakery, yeah. yeah. Go on. Um, he also attacked three other women who survived. Uphadia Bandara in Leeds on the 24th of September 1980. Yep. Maureen Lee or Leah, an art student, attacked in the grounds of Leeds University on the 25th of October 1980. And 16-year-old... Teresa Sykes attacked in Huddersfield on the night of the 5th of November 1980. Okay. Pause here for one second if you don't mind. Now, he's awaiting trial at this point. Still awaiting trial for drunk driving. Yeah. Was the drunk driving offence in Leeds? Is that where he's on trial, do we know? Do we have that piece of information? Because if he's awaiting trial in Leeds, Mm -hmm. and you already know he's kind of a bad dude, and you've interviewed him nine times, because you like to think the police, I mean, any police listening drop a comment if this happens you like to think that different police in different regions communicate with each other yeah like maybe check this guy we've talked to him nine times could be a bad dude waving a red flag i would assume this is still in in leeds yeah i'd so you would think if you've now got a spate of killings and assaults i mean like i think you said two took place at the university of leeds so very mm. like you would you would Central. begin to be like maybe again put two and two together I'm really hoping the police begin to put two and two together at this point yeah, yeah, yeah. and start making four and not we aside so please tell me they get him this is the point where they get him now on the 25th of November 1980 Trevor Birdsall an associate of Sutcliffe reported him to the police as a suspect but the information vanished into the paperwork already accumulated. Oh, I give up. I give up now. Let's just end this. This is pointless. There, I, I, a lot of police officers lost their jobs. I must, this is like... A, the end of this podcast is going to be the sentence and 30-plus police officers lost their jobs due to sheer incompetence. Because this is diabolical now. Like, as a Leeds native, this is Amazing. diabolical. It is quite bad, isn't it? I mean, the fact that they... They talked to him nine times. Like, nine times, man. This but is... he had an alibi. Like, so... he didn't tick any of the boxes until later on. Well, he did. He had the five-pound nut. And they knew he had... Because he was one well, of... Well, he was one of 5,000. One of 300, they said earlier. That was on the car, because of the car. Yeah, but one of 300. So you knew... If you've... Nine times, and he's one he of 300. He's one of those 300. You yeah. know one of them is. But I think his alibi kind of put him on the safe list. And everyone bloody hell. That's just... This is just barmy now. Mm. Like, and he wasn't even the police that got him. It was this friend, uh, Trevor. Trevor's like, you know, Pete, you've spoke to a few times. I think he's the Do you want to try and do it again? No, we don't. Oh, we'll give us the paperwork, but we'll just file it away. No, seriously, this guy. Yeah. He's a bit of, no, come on. Is that, if the fibre's on him, drive the Vauxhall. 
likes to kick people. <laughs> no, we don't need him, honestly. Oh, this is sheer incompetence. It's so... It's, it's very... I mean, it's a difficult job, so it's hard to pin so it he's, on So Trev's reported Sutcliffe now? Yeah, and the police put it in the paperwork, but it's kind right, of got okay. lost. So, 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 the, so at this point, Sutcliffe's still awaiting trial, still free. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Not even a suspect, really. Right. Yeah, continue. So now we go on to the section which is arrest and trial. Oh, so eventually some bright spark goes, this line meets well, this line. Oh, It's not even that. He gets, he gets oh, we'll caught go by a different route. Go on then. On the 2nd of January 1981, Sutcliffe was stopped by police with 24-year-old prostitute Olivia Rivers in the driveway of Light Trade's house in Melbourne Avenue, Brimhill, Sheffield. Sheffield gets a mention. A police check by probationary constable Robert Hyde revealed his car had false number plates and Sutcliffe was arrested and transferred to Drewsbury Police Station. Well done, Robert. Robert's already done more work to get this guy in prison than the entire police force of the last six years. At Dewsbury, he was questioned in relation to the Yorkshire Ripper case. For the tenth time. Yeah, as he matched many of the known physical characteristics. Yeah, yeah, come on. You're sort of like, if if you're the audience watching this film now, you're sort of like, you see, you're like, this is it. They're doing it. Come on. The next day, police returned to the scene of the arrest and discovered a knife, hammer and rope he had discarded when he briefly slipped away from the police after telling them he was bursting for a pee. So he just so he said, I need the toilet and threw away all the evidence. Mm-hmm. All the potential things he was going to use to kill Olivia. Right, right okay. Sutcliffe hid a second knife in the toilet cistern at the police station where he was permitted to use the toilet. I love the ingenuity by Peter here. Can I just use the toilet again? You've just been. I just, I t- yeah, I he literally need... had a knife on him. I didn't need it back then. Did no one pat him down? That's what I was just thinking. Did, did they he... not search him? Did he, like, was there metal protectors in the 1980s where he just like, walked through with... He's like, should we check this guy? No, it's they, fine. They must think he's got a bloody a, a bladder issue. Because he peed when he was like with them at the car. Then he's like, oh God, I really need to pee again when they're at the station. I've just got this shooting pain in my stomach. Yeah, God, I need to get rid of it. Oh, come on. The police obtained a search warrant for his home in Bradford and brought his wife in for questioning. So this that's another wife who's been diligently having an affair with Mr. Whippy mm. has now been brought in for questioning. Right, we're here. We've arrived. This is the moment. This is the police's big redemption story. They're going to get him. Tell me how they get him. When Sutcliffe was stripped at the police station, he was wearing an inverted V-neck sweater under his trousers. The sleeves had been pulled over his legs and the V-neck exposed his genital area. The front of the elbows were padded to protect his knees as presumably he knelt over his victim's corpses. The sexual implications of this outfit were considered obvious. Fairly. But it was not made public until 2003 and the publication of the book Wicked Beyond Belief, The Hunt for the Yorkshire Ripper by Michael Bilton. And this is quite obviously sexual. Yeah, so imagine putting a v-neck over your, your head. Instead of doing that, you put them on like trousers. No, no, so I know. So the sleeves are in the legs. No, no, I know. Bit of an odd thing so, to think about, but, you know. So he's, he's part naked. Yeah. He's been stripped. We have no more weapons on him. They've basically caught him red-handed, ready to kill. So, so all of a sudden, all the police need to do now is get a confession out of him. This mm-hmm. is their moment. They, mm-hmm. they catch him. They make him confess, don't they? They're like, days of interrogation gets Peter to confess. Why are you trying to jump ahead? Like, let's just because talk. because because the police need redemption. They they they, have, they need a redemption in this. Well, let's see. Like this comes, this Robert guy has brought him in on false plates. He's done the job. He's got them in the he's police station. More than the, he's done yeah. more in six. He's done more in one day than an entire regional police in six years. And it wasn't even to do with the Ripper case. It was to do with false plates. plates. Yeah. So Robert's got them in, and the police is going to swing it home and bring this one on for the boys. 
After two days of intensive questioning, on the afternoon of the 4th of January 1981, Sutcliffe suddenly declared he was the Ripper. It wasn't even the police. No. So, Sutcliffe just give up. He was like, you know what? You're useless. It's me. Yeah, I'm, I'm bored of this now. Yeah. I think he just kind of was like, oh, whatever. If, if he got it's bored, me. <laughs> it's, oh, you know what? I bet Sutcliffe thought, I'm going to get away with this again, aren't I? Yeah. Oh, fuck it. It's me, boys. It's yeah. me, honestly. I'll, give me a pad. I'll write it down. Over the next day, Sutcliffe calmly described his many attacks. Weeks later, he claimed God had told him to murder the women. He displayed emotion only when talking of his youngest victim, Jane MacDonald, and when questioned about the murder of Joan Harrison, he vehemently denied responsibility. Joan Harrison is the Hawks yeah. murder, the Preston one. Right, yeah. okay. Right. So he's like, no, I didn't do that one. Mm. I'm the Yorkshire guy. Don't, don't go Preston way. And he seemed to only display emotion when he, about the 14-year-old that he killed. Was that the 14-year-old? Maybe he didn't realise she was 14, I don't know. And Maybe. He was actually... You know, if he's got this history of, of his wife having miscarriages and him not having children, maybe it hit home that but he couldn't... He just killed a child. I know, but the age thing didn't never seem to affect him, though, because he's going from 47, 20, 16. You didn't think age was his thing, so to only display emotion at the youngest victim, it's still a bit out of character for him, because he just doesn't yeah. seem to care. Harrison's murder had been linked to the Ripper killings by the Wearside Jack claim, but in 2011, DNA evidence revealed the crime had actually been committed by convicted sex offender Christopher Smith, who had died in 2008. So not only was this Wearside guy hoaxing everything, mm. and not only was he not found until 2011, mm. he didn't even kill the woman. No. That's why he wasn't done for murder or anything. And he was this, done perverting the course of justice. And Christopher, Christopher Smith got gets off scot-free until he yeah. dies in 2008. He died in 2008 and it was... 2011, it revealed that it was him. This is just a shit show from start to finish. Sutcliffe was charged on the 5th of January 1981. At his trial, he pleaded not guilty to 13 charges of murder, but guilty to manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility. On the grounds of diminished responsibility, that's obviously in in terms of insanity, so he'd be sent to a mental home. For example, the last episode we talked about ian brady who got, he went to the hospital yeah he got diagnosed jail. clinically insane right so he's so, 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 trying to play brady yeah he's trying to be like oh i'm insane i don't know what i'm doing it's not murder it wasn't premeditated it was manslaughter oops my mind maybe oh, do it it's been a week but when, when was brady active because this was a similar this, time christ england was fucking full of them weren't it, it was the north mate as well oh well big up yeah it was similar time as well yeah. Jesus, you've been shit scared, wouldn't you? I mean, Brady went for kids, though, in fairness. Yeah. Brady was... Mo- yeah, Brady... Oh. And Sutcliffe covered the older generation. Oh, well, the older than children. Generation. Yeah. Oh, my God. Go on. Yeah, so he's... Hang on. He's, he's declaring his voices. Go on. The basis of his defence was that he claimed to be the tool of God's will. Oh, bugger off. Sutcliffe said he had heard voices that ordered him to kill prostitutes while working as a grave digger. He said the voices originated from a headstone of a Polish man and that the voices were that of God. What? I don't know. What? So I, he's a grave digger now? He was a grave digger. He went through many, many jobs, one of them being a grave digger. Um, but at the time of his, his, the majority of his attacks, he was a lorry driver for a company. Oh, sorry. And it was the headstone of a Polish man? Yeah, for some reason the Polish made him do it. And then the voices were that of God. Mm-hmm. Right, okay, because God is the one telling him to kill all these women. Okay, go then. He yeah. pleaded guilty to seven charges of attempted murder. The prosecution intended to accept Sutcliffe's plea after four psychiatrists diagnosed him with paranoid schizophrenia. He's going to get away with it again. He's going he's gonna to get away with it again. Because of absolute incompetence. 
Mm. Because now he's duped four psychiatrists into believing he has paranoid schizophrenia because of a headstone of a Polish guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, go on. However, the trial judge demanded an unusually detailed ex- explanation of the prosecution reasoning. After a two-hour representation by the Attorney General, a 90-minute lunch break and another 40 minutes of legal discussion, the judge rejected the diminished responsibility plea and the expert testimonies of the psychiatrists insisting that the case should be dealt with by a jury. You can't see this podcast, listeners, but I am venomously punching the air. This judge needs a knighthood. Yeah, he was I like, mean, no. he, took, he took a long time. It was a lunch, a 40-minute recess. He took his time, but he got there. Mm. This judge, find his name, give the damn guy a knighthood. Thankfully, someone, as long with Robert, got him on false plates, has seen sense that yeah, this guy... Yeah, them two have done, done good. Seen yeah. sense that this guy might be bullshitting. Mm-hmm. Just might be. Mm-hmm. Polish headstone. <laughs> the trial proper was set to commence on the 5th of May, 1981. So now, trial time. Yes. Okay. The trial lasted two weeks, and despite the efforts of his counsel, Sutcliffe was found guilty of murder on all accounts. Good. And was sentenced to 20 concurrent sentences of life imprisonment. Good. The jury rejected the evidence of four psychiatrists that Sutcliffe had paranoid schizophrenia, possibly influenced by the evidence of a prison officer who heard him say to his wife that if he convinced people he was mad, then he might get 10 years in a loony bin. Oh, for this guy just plays the police he's like a fucking idiot. fiddle. He's like, he's had, he's done all this work. He's had him every step of the way. He's even given them the fact he's the Ripper. He's, he's like, you know what? I'm going to tell you the Ripper and I'm still going to get away with it. And it only takes the delayed brilliance of one judge and the overhearing nosy, let's call him nosy, security guard at a prison, hearing him telling his wife mm-hmm. he's going to get 10 years in a loony bin if he can convince him he's mad. The trial judge said Sutcliffe was beyond redemption. Oh, this judge is amazing. And hoped he would never leave prison. He recommended a minimum term of 30 years to be served before parole could be considered, meaning Sutcliffe would have been unlikely to be freed until at least 2011. The judge has done his boy. The judge has done his job. He's like, you're getting 30 years, you're going to fucking sit here and rot. I, I do not remember him getting out, so I'm assuming the next words are going to be, he didn't get out. On the 16th of July 2010, the High Court issued Sutcliffe with a whole life tariff, meaning he is unlikely ever to be released. Yes. The whole life tariff was introduced by the government in 1983, and it was reported that Sutcliffe was among only a small group of prisoners to have been issued with a whole life tariff. Politicians were stripped of their powers to set minimum terms for life sentence prisoners in November 2002, and the final say on how long a life sentence prisoner can serve has since rested with the High Court. I don't know if my brain's making leaps here, but I think we brought that up with Brady. I was just about to say. I think Brady was. I think that was also Brady and Mira as well. Weren't yeah. they part of that as well? Because weren't didn't she argue something along those lines to try and get out around 2000? Was it? Yeah. Obviously, I don't want to spoil anything with that. If some, if you haven't. Um, well, of course, go listen to the old podcast. If you haven't listened to episode two, uh, I would definitely skip ahead yeah. the next ten seconds. First but... of all, what are you doing here? Listen yeah, to two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so skip ahead the next ten seconds because it will spoil a little tiny detail. But um, the 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 powers that were stripped for the politicians in November two thousand two was a few months after Myra Hindley died, but she was uh, yeah, she was trying. trying to get it. Yeah, right. Okay. So this is not related, but almost uh, an offshoot of that decision mm. affects Sutcliffe. So they're alongside each other. They're all so in prison. They, yeah, wow. But because Ian Brady was in a uh, mental, mental institution, then well, he wouldn't he, have been... He wasn't stupid and talked to his wife about trying to get to yeah. 
I do believe Ian, Ian Braidwood was mentally ill, though. But yeah. After his trial, Sutcliffe admitted two other attacks. It was decided that prosecution for these offences was not in the public interest. West Yorkshire police made it clear that the victims wished to remain anonymous. Probably because the police fucked it up. There must have been so many reforms to the police during this time because they were diabolical. Well, the next section is criticism of West Yorkshire Police. Well, that's... Oh, God. So, that the, we've sort of done the beginning and end of the, the, the ordeal and the time where Sutcliffe gripped West Yorkshire and mm. Manchester for a mm. period. West Yorkshire Police were criticised for being inadequately prepared for the investigation on this scale. Shock. It was one of the largest investigations by a British police force and pre- predated the use of computers. Information on suspects was stored on handwritten index cards. Aside from difficulties in storing and accessing the paperwork, it was difficult for officers to overcome the information overload of such a large manual system. So, essentially, the, the police's excuse is we have a lot of information and we don't have enough time to get through it. Pretty much. It's basically it's like the absolute layman's terms of what you just said. Yeah. Right, okay. Nine times this man was interviewed. Nine Yeah. Nine times. Put it on little revision cards, stocked it away. Like, literally, like, surely the guy at the reception's got, like, a a, a, a list, and he sees his face and goes, you've been here a lot. Yeah. Do you not think we should look into this guy? Oh. Following his conviction and incarceration, Sutcliffe chose to use the name Coonan, his mother's maiden name. He began his sentence at HMP Parkhurst on the 22nd of May, 1981. Despite being found sane at his trial, he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Attempts to send him to a secure psychiatric unit were blocked. While at Parkhurst, he was seriously assaulted by James Costello, a 35-year-old career criminal with several convictions for violence. You see this a lot, don't you, in prison? Yeah, they... Were, like, certain, like... I don't know if it's just serial killers. I know know paedophiles have a really, really bad time. They usually get murdered, don't they? Yeah, but they they usually see that. They usually try to get sent to psychiatric hospitals for their own safety most Mm. times, but (laughs) this time the guy blocked it. Kind of must have known what was coming and was like... Yeah. We're just going to keep you there, Peter. On the 10th of January 1983, he followed Sutcliffe into the recess of F2, the hospital wing at Parkhurst Prison, and plunged a broken coffee jar twice into the left side of Sutcliffe's face, creating four wounds requiring 30 stitches. I mean, you don't want to root for a criminal, but you have to give the guy a round of for A, ingenuity, and B, the amount of times he got him. Don't really feel sad for Sutcliffe, the amount of stuff he You literally don't. The the only thing I feel sad for is that it's a broken coffee cup. Yeah. feel sad for, really. Hopefully the coffee was drank before that. I hope so. Yeah. In March 1984, Sutcliffe was sent to Broadmoor Hospital under Section 47 of the Mental Health Act 1983. So he's found sane at the trial, but when he gets to prison, he's then declared to have paranoid schizophrenia, which was denied by the judge. Mm. And now he's been sent to Broadmoor, quite a famous hospital, under the Mental Health Act. Mm Mm-hmm. Now they could have a, used that for his own protection, there's a, there's though. A bit of, okay, maybe, yeah, maybe I can see that. But now there's a bit of contradiction now between the two things now. Like, you're saying he's not insane yeah. to get him all these life sentences. Now you're saying he is insane. So, I mean, maybe it's for his own protection, but I think now they're just maybe trying to get him out of the public eye. Maybe put him away. Like, like yeah, Brady, Ian Brady, Brady yeah. hidden he away from the public eye. The public eye. Yeah. Yeah. His wife obtained a separation from him in 1982 and a divorce in April 1994. Oh, Jesus, 12 years. That took a long time. Yeah. On the 23rd of February 1996, Sutcliffe was attacked in his room in Broadmoor Hospital's Henley Ward. Paul Wilson, a convicted robber, asked to borrow a videotape before attempting to strangle him with the cable from a pair of stereo headphones. 
two other convicted murderers, Kenneth Erkstein and Jamie Devitt, intervened on hearing screams. So they stopped him? Yeah, wow, they intervened. They... And they're two convicted murderers. Well, oh, murderers stick together. Yeah, probably. They probably have a blood pact. Like a literal blood pact. Yeah, probably. <laughs> oh, you're on, you're on M-Wing. Oh, come here, brother. Yeah, and literally. What are you in for? Women? Oh, I killed men. After an attack with a pen by fellow inmate Ian Kay on the 10th of March 1997, Sutcliffe lost the vision in his left eye and his right eye was severely damaged. Do you have, have you ever heard the phrase, karma comes full circle? It literally, because he's it, been, trying because to, he's oh been systematically taken apart here. People are trying to kill him. The greatest representation of karma coming full circle oh, you've yeah. ever seen. It's, this is magnificent. Ian Kay admitted trying to kill Sutcliffe and was ordered to be detained in a secure mental hospital without limited time. In 2003, it was reported that Sutcliffe had developed diabetes. This is amazing. This is... <laughs> he's been stabbed, he's been strangled, he's lost basically all of his vision, and now he can't have chocolate. Yeah. Like, this, is, this, is, this is absolutely incredible. Sutcliffe is having a whale of a time here in Broadmoor. Yeah. Sutcliffe's father died in 2004 and was cremated. On the 17th of January 2005, Sutcliffe was allowed to visit Grange Oversands, where the ashes had been scattered. The decision to allow the temporary release was initiated by David Blunkett and ratified by Charles Clark when he became Home Secretary. Oh. Sutcliffe was accompanied by four members of the hospital staff. Despite the passage of 25 years since the Ripper murders, Sutcliffe's visit was the focus of front-page tabloid yeah, headlines. He's killed 11 women and, and, he's allowed and out. has attacked 30 people. Like he's attacked 30 women in separate occasions. Yeah. And you're letting this... I mean, I know his father's died and everything, and that's sad, but this guy's killed 11 women that we know yeah. of, and that's yeah. been caught for. And yeah, of course it's going to be front news page. 25 years is nothing when you killed 11 people. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they were 13. He killed Everyone, 13. 13, he sorry. Yeah. I mean, I've been saying it wrong, but like, you, you can't just... You don't just forget 13 murders. No, like no. This, with The British tabloid tends to remember their things like that. Mm-hmm. On the 22nd of December 2007, Sutcliffe was attacked by fellow inmate Patrick Sereda, who lunged at him with a metal with a metal cutlery knife while shouting, you fucking raping, murdering bastard, I'll blind your fucking other one. Sutcliffe flung himself backwards and the blade missed his right eye, stabbing him in the cheek. This is like now sort of becoming a thing, isn't it, in prison? Where it's like, who's actually going to get Sutcliffe? Like, do you think there's like a, a ward that's just like, the shortest straw. You, yeah, you, you gotta get, go. You get it's your guy, mate. It's like, and this guy's like, in it going, oh, I hope I get in this time, pulls it out, and it's like, oh, it's you, Patrick. Hey! Yeah. Go for his other eye. Do it, do it for us, Patrick. Yeah. It's like, Christ. And he missed. Oh. <laughs> Better luck next time, Patrick. Yeah, literally. God, who's it next time? We'll actually try and get this Find one. Find out next week. Yeah. On the 17th of February 2009, it was reported that Sutcliffe was fit to leave Broadmoor. He can't fucking see where he's going. Well, out of one eye, he can. Oh, yeah. Well, well, and he's just got a load of fucking scars. Well, I'm the IV drip because he's got diabetes. Yeah. On the 23rd of March 2010, the Secretary of State for Justice, Jack Straw, was questioned by Julie Kirkbride, Conservative MP for Broomsgrove, in the House of Commons seeking reassurance for a victim of Sutcliffe that he would remain in prison. Straw responded that whilst the matter of Sutcliffe's release was a parole board manner... Um, that all the evidence that I have seen on the case and its great deal suggests to me that there are no circumstances in which this man will ever be released. That is the most political way of saying, no, he's not going to get out. Yeah, just, like, just, just say the words, no, nah. he's not getting out. <laughs> Instead of doing this whole blah, 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 just utter the first, was it, who was it, fucking, what was the guy, Jack Straw, just say, Jack, if you're listening to this, 
No. No. <laughs> just that's all you need. Just one more. You don't need, well, you know, in the views of the public. Just say no. Like, literally. Just say no. Literally. Thank you for another impression. <laughs> literally. It's not hard, Jack. Yeah. Are God. you okay? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really hoping this is over because this has really increased my blood it's, pressure. It's almost, yeah, we've got a my, couple of paragraphs. My blood done. pressure at the West Yorkshire Police in confidence is going for the roof right God. now. God. Appeal. This is the next section. He actually appealed. An application by Sutcliffe for a minimum term to be set, offering the responsibility of parole after that date, if it is thought safe to release him, was heard by the High Court of Justice on the 16th of July 2010. The court decided that Sutcliffe will never be released. Shock. Mr. Justice Mitting stated... Oh, that is the best Justice name. Mitting. <laughs> if, please tell me this guy's a judge, because the per- his mum... Who named him Mr. Justice knew Mitten. his career's path. She knew it. She was like, and I Justice. named the Justice. Like, yeah. oh, he is the law. Like, that's <laughs> amazing. Uh, Mr. Justice Missing stated, this was a campaign of murder which terrorised the population of a large part of Yorkshire for several years. The only explanation for it on the jury's verdict was anger, hatred and obsession. Apart from a terrorist outrage, it is difficult to conceive of circumstances in which one man could account for so many victims. Well said, Justice. Psychological reports describing his mental state were taken into consideration, as this was the severity of his crimes. Barring judicial decisions to the contrary, Sutcliffe will spend the rest of his life in custody. On the 4th of August 2010, a spokeswoman for the Judicial Communications Office confirmed that Sutcliffe had initiated an appeal against his decision. Wow, so he's initiated an appeal against the appeal. Yeah, so they've gone, no, you're staying in prison. He's like, no, no. On the 9th of March 2011, the Court of Appeal rejected Sutcliffe's application for leave to appeal to the Supreme Court. Not only are you not getting out, you're not going to appeal to get out. So that was his um, appeal. That was his short-lived appeal, but we did get the best name ever in criminal law, Mr Justice Mitting. Well, to be fair, how can he bloom an appeal? Yeah, you've confessed to these murders. Oh, I don't think so, mate. I want to get out. Yeah. No. Yeah, are you sure, though? Yeah. Literally, and Justice said it perfectly, apart from a terrorist outrage, literally, there's not. you can't think of many people who have affected and directly assaulted, influenced or damaged mm. in any way the amount of people that he has without it being a terrorist incident. Like, yeah. Not a chance. Peter. Bad. Not a chance. So this last paragraph just says later events. Okay. In December 2015, Sutcliffe was assessed as being no longer mentally ill. In August 2016, a medical tribunal ruled that he is no longer required clinical treatment for his mental condition and could be returned to prison. Sutcliffe is reported to have been transferred from Broadmoor to Franklin Prison in Durham in August 2016. He's left the hospital then? Yeah. Okay. In 2017, West Yorkshire Police launched Operation Paint Hall to determine if Sutcliffe was guilty of unsolved crimes dating back to 1964. I have a question. Yeah. Why? Why is that important? Is that just for closure? Do they have some I cases think it open? is just closure, yeah, because there are unsolved cases of women who have been killed that they believe could be due to him. So now they're just looking to just tie up the loose ends, essentially. Yeah, seeing if he's he's responsible okay. for any others, because he's still alive to this day. Unfortunately. You know. The inquiry also looked at the two killings of sex workers in southern Sweden in 1980. As Sutcliffe was a lorry driver, it was theorised that he had been in Denmark and Sweden, making use of the ferry across the Arasund Strait. West Yorkshire Police later stated that they were absolutely certain that Sutcliffe had never been in Sweden. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. The killings were only limited to Yorkshire and Manchester. Yeah, I mean, good that he didn't branch out. He didn't take his brand of terrorism to 
the the European mainland, or yeah. Scandinavia rather. Oh, that was a wild ride, Jesus. Yeah, how do you feel after that one? Obviously, that's all the information I've got. I feel on it. I feel more drained than Brady and Mira. Really? Well, I think I think with that one because it was a double header, like uh, Myra, sorry, takes all the headlines. Mm. Brady sort of sinks away. This guy, from start to finish, just gives the police the absolute runaround. Yeah. I yeah. interviewed, interviewed, wasn't me. Here's a fiver. No, it's not my fiver. Maybe it was your fiver. Could have been my fiver. No, interviewed, interviewed. You've got a knife on you. You've got a hammer on you. You've got another knife on you. Can you strip for us? Why is that jumper upside down? It's not me. I'm the ripper. God told me to do it. It was a headstone. We're at a trial. You're paranoid. You're not paranoid. You're schizophrenic. No, you're not schizophrenic. Go to prison. Get stabbed. Lose your eyesight. Get stabbed. Get diabetes. Get stabbed again. Oh, look at that. You're not insane anymore. Go back to prison. This guy, for the well, honestly, the, that should I, be the blooming intro to the podcast episode. This, just, just, just without any like, just this. Oh Jesus! Mental. I, I'm knackered. Yeah, I can, yeah, I can tell. Honestly, <laughs> right, right, just... so on. Uh, obviously, from the last episode, we established that there would be a ranking of who you deem to be the worst serial killer out of the three so far that we've done. So the Zodiac Killer, Ian Brady and Myra Hindley and Peter Sutcliffe. I've actually thought about this. I okay, actually, yeah. I, I, in, the, in the past week, I actually did some criteria. So when it comes to serial killers, you've obviously got to think about how many people they killed. Because mm-hmm. they're serial killers. So I think a big criteria is the actual, what is the, what is the kill count? Yeah. So this guy was at 13. Mm. So that's a, that is a solid kill count. That is more than Zodiac and that is more than Myra and Ian Brady so far. I think the next criteria has to be the publicity, like mm-hmm. the, the media frenzy. I mean, Zodiac, I'm not too sure in terms of the media frenzy. I haven't looked it into too much massive, detail. But it was actually, yeah. I mean, I know he's got a film about him. Myra and Ian, I more Myra than Ian, so you sort of have to take points away because they didn't do it as a joint effort. Mm. This guy, 25 years on, was not been allowed to see his father's ashes. Mm. So this guy obviously scores highly on there. And then I think, and also another point, and we'll have to collab on this one as we as we go through it, is what is the legacy? Like, what is this? I mean, the Yorkshire Ripper, yeah. the Zodiac Killer, like the Moor Murderers, like they all have legacy attached to them. So I think, I think Peter Sutcliffe has got thirteen killings. He yes. had a mass media frenzy around him. I think he's also got the legacy, the Yorkshire Ripper. He has the name. Yeah. Like he has the title. And he's also got the caveat of giving him the, the poli- he gave himself to the police. Yeah. He probably would have got away with it if he wanted to. Like if he if he actually wanted to to, to try and get away with this one, he probably could have. Mm. And I think in it, for me, I think he has to be number one. I think I think when you put the combination of of the thirteen murders, the absolute media like frenzy. Yeah, the runaround. The, the runaround. Yeah. I mean, incompetence. The runaround. He. Like, he almost gets away with it, apart from two stellar candidates of Justice, Mittington and Robert. Almost gets away with it. Yeah. And then, the, just just the legacy, the name, the Yorkshire Ripper. He he had his own copycat, as I'm sure Zodiac did as well. So yeah. I think, for me, if I was to rank these three, um, obviously I know the infamy of the Zodiac, but I would honestly go Sutcliffe, Zodiac, and then, actually, I've changed it. I will put Zodiac second. Okay, yeah. I would put Ian and Myra Hindley third. Just because Ian and Myra were, were, were concentrated. They were awful. I mean, obviously, they attacked and killed kids, which is disgusting. Mm. The Zodiac obviously has the name, he has the image, has the mystique of never being caught. Yeah. But Sutcliffe, I think, he almost has the perfect 
serial killer profile if you if you ever think there is one. Yeah. The only thing he doesn't have is we know who he is. And yeah. I think if he if he had the Zodiac esque mystery, I think he would he would be far and away the leader of the killer conversations um, serial killing uh, podcast rankings. So fabulous. I mean, if you if you don't accept that definition let us know let yeah us, if you want to come up with your own criteria i mean don't we obviously don't we're, we're doing this in jest obviously we don't want to physically get in the details yeah we don't want to we're not here to rank see give who's us, better than who give us your power rankings of ian myra um the zodiac and peter Sutcliffe. but he was this was a wild ride and i am physically and mentally drained and i don't know if you have anything else to say but i'm i'm just gonna take a minute and have a drink okay well let's drink chills out um we usually at the end of each episode take on a few questions um because this is again a long one i think we'll only just pop one in um obviously if uh, anyone wants to send in questions dms on um twitter or instagram we also have a email for questions which is killerconversations.questions at gmail.com um but more than happy to be contacted or tweeted or Instagrammed, whatever you feel com- more comfortable. Um, the Instagram page is Killer Conversations Podcast and the Twitter is Killer C underscore podcast. So feel free to go join us over there where we run loads of polls and, and post loads of pictures. So this question is from Laura Willis. Okay. Hello, Laura. Hello. <laughs> Um, she put, it was recently reported that since Peter Sutcliffe has been moved to a maximum security prison from hospital, women are sending intimate photos of themselves in an attempt to strike a pen pal relationship with him with the goal of selling his letters online. How do you feel about this? Um, this is, I mean, I don't, I'm, this, yeah, this strikes me as something that fairly common happens, isn't it? I mean, Yeah, a lot of women... I mean, he hasn't, been, he hasn't been covered yet, but spoiler alert, I think he may be. Um, Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy. Yeah. One of the most, one of my famous ones, having pen pals. Or I think everyone wants their moment in the sun, and I think mm. women are using the fact that they were his victims to try and strike up a relationship, to try and then have intimate knowledge or maybe get something out of him that over the, oh, the last thirty years no one else has got out of him. So I mean, it makes me feel sick that these women are trying yeah. to do it for money. And let's be honest, that's what it is. It's a monetary gain and infamy to be the woman who's friends with Peter Sutcliffe. So I, I'm not a fan of it. I don't know what you think. I mean, it's a bit weird, isn't it, really? I mean, they're, they're either trying to financially or, I don't know if it's it's even sexually driven. Some women might get, a lot of women can get off on sending these prisoners letters to be romantically involved and the other half are doing it for financial gain. So I just think it's weird anyway. It's, like, uh, yeah, it's not something... I don't you're going to talk to a guy who's killed people of a similar age to you. Yeah, uh, getting into a pen pal relationship with him. I think I think it's very weird. Uh, I I'm not a fan of the idea personally, Laura. To answer no, the question. thank you, Laura, for that question. Yeah, we both agree that it's a bit. Hopefully next week we'll have a bit more time in terms of answering a few more questions. But yeah, I'm I probably think... going to brief it down a little bit the information just so we can kind of fit you guys in because we've got a few questions we do want to answer. The, which the be long, fabulous. I think the the sheer amount of information this week was just there was a, a lot. It was, there was a lot. There was, there was a lot yeah. to take in and I think we had to do I think Beth um, wanted to do from, from the amount of work she's put into this I think we wanted to do this one justice for the amount of sheer just detail Horror. and incompetence mm. that was on display here I think everyone needed to have their moments so sorry questions weren't the priority this week but hopefully next week we can yeah. get back into the swing of things but um, how do we know who next week's serial killer is? 
Um, I'm going to keep that on the down low until I post it on our uh, Twitter and Instagram. No, no clues. Um, I do need to. They will Go be. On. Give us a clue. <laughs> they will be male. Oh, male. Yeah. So That's you've got your whole so bag of people. To saucy tip, but only narrows it down to like ninety percent of all serial killers. That is true. I might have a different guest co-host. Uh, to, Depending on the COVID, depending on COVID, yes, yeah. we may have a different one. But if it not, might be you. yours faithful will always step into the yeah. seat. Thank you very much for having me today. Thank That's you for okay. choosing the Yorkshire representative for the Yorkshire Ripper. I am happy and appreciative that I was allowed to be on the podcast this week. That's okay. Well, thank you for joining, and we will see everyone next week for another episode of Killer Conversations. Hashtag Justice Mittington is the best name ever. <laughs> see you later, guys. Bye.